DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. It's time to welcome in Craig Bowlerjack, TV voice of the Utah Jazz. He's on the Smart Rain guest line. Utah will be in a drought next summer. Smart Rain knows that 2022 budget planning for most businesses is coming soon. Take advantage of their Save Now, Pay Later promotion. Do your part by saving water while saving money. Check out Best of State Award winner Smart Rain at SmartRain.net. Bowler, good morning. Hey, DJ PK, how are you? Good. I'm doing well. How are you? Well, I'm doing good, PK. You know, every time I hear the Tom Petty song, you know, I don't care if it's on radio or coming into the radio show. I just think of you. I don't know why now. Every time I hear a Tom <laughs> Petty song, I think of PK Patrick Kinahan. Because I won't back down. You won't back down. <laughs> Crazy. Tom Petty. In fact, uh, his de- anniversary of his death is coming up. Died October 20th. No, really? October, October, he was born October 20th in Gainesville, and he died October 2nd, 2017. Four years. Yep. Bowler, you are in Texas for a couple of exhibition games. We've seen very little of the starters. Seen very little of the subs we've come to know, the guys who come off the second unit and play big minutes. But we've seen a lot of the guys who maybe are the future, maybe are going to get let go. I assume these two games have been used to sort that out. Who might get plugged into the rotation if somebody gets hurt? Who we got to make sure we keep the right guy so we're not on the wrong, the Clippers end of the Joe Ingles uh, career moves? Oh, there's no, no, there's no doubt about that. I think you know, we'll see the, the core group began to you know, give back on the court on Monday night against New Orleans, and of course the Bucks will be the final preseason game on Wednesday night. Yeah, Donovan uh, was on the floor with Mike a bit in San Antonio, but uh, last night in Dallas, it was basically, as you said, uh, a group of young players that are trying to uh, formulate, uh, I think, in the minds of the coaches uh, that they can and should earn a spot on this roster. And there's a couple of guys that, can, that we continue to talk about just because – I've been impressed. I think everybody has with Jared Butler, you know, the uh, national champion out of out of Baylor, and you know, Trent Forrest and him are battling uh, for those minutes, uh, uh, the true second unit minutes as a point guard uh, or as a two. But uh, boy, Jared Butler last night was impressive. Uh, I know it's preseason. I know you're playing against some, you know, the, uh, you know, as they call it, the the second and third tier players at times. But Dallas put. You know, Jason Kidd last night, that was their first game. So Dallas put, you know, a pretty heavy group of starters on the floor last night, Luca, Porzingis, and others. And I just thought Jared Butler looked poised, uh, and I was very impressed. I know it's only game two of a preseason, but, yeah, he's got got a little something. They call it it, and uh, I was pretty impressed with it. I'm wondering, as you just mentioned, you mentioned both positions – and basketball has morphed into more of a non-traditional, clear-cut roles. Uh, do you label him as a point guard, or he's just a modern version, yeah. and he's a backcourt guy? You know, I think the Jazz, like every team that I talk to, they're always talking more PK, as you mentioned, about positionless basketball. So they just want to plug him in is probably the best way to put it. But, you know, obviously he's got guard skills, and – um, you know, whether it's the one or the two, I mean, he's 6'4", uh, but gosh, he just uh, has that, and so does Trent Forrest. Both are kind of gliders. Both are very confident with the ball. 
both uh, do their thing at their own pace. And I, I sense just a ton of confidence. I mean, when we talked to Butler last week, uh, he made that very clear that, look, he's won at every level. It wasn't a cocky conversation. It was just a, a young guy who believes uh, in, in what he can do. And I think you have to have that attitude to be able to make an NBA roster. Um, he's won in high school, he's won in college, and now he'd like to be able to, to win at the, the NBA level as well. Um, I was impressed with him just on our one-on-one conversations last week during the media day. Um, you know, he took every question directly and, and talked about what he learned as a champion in, in the NCAA and the pressures that go with that and now making the transition to the NBA. So you're right. Everyone's been been talking about him. I'm curious if there are other people that have impressed that maybe haven't gotten uh, as much run, but nonetheless have made a positive impression on the coaching staff. Um, I think last night also who stood out, guys, was Elijah Hughes. Um, you know, kind of a lanky, rangy guy that had some outside shooting abilities and rebounding that can run the floor. I thought he stood out too. Uh, in, in play last night. Uh, I don't know much about this other young kid uh, that was on the floor last night, uh, Fitz, uh, but he was able to, uh, I think, make a name for himself a little bit as well. So, you know, there's there's guys, I, I, I just can't imagine, the Jazz just can't keep their, you know, they, people are standing out. Yeah, it was Malik Fitz on a St. Mary's. Yeah, I've seen uh, him play in St. Mary's, and I love this game. Yeah, he... He's a guy that we didn't see much of and was a late sign. Uh, they, they, they picked him up not only just a week plus ago, and I, I was impressed with his game too last night. So, you know, I, I think Quinn made it clear too, PK, that, um, you know, they want competition. Competition's good for a team that actually is, is loaded with the core players. But as you guys mentioned coming in, it's about one or two or three players that will help them in the postseason when they face small ball or just strengthen the bench overall. And there's a, there's two or three players that I think are, are you know vying for that. And it's hard it's hard not to not hard is I know it's one game last night for Fitz, but uh, again he's another guy that jumped out. It's funny for me because you look at Quinn Snyder doing his thing. Uh, there's only, been, correct me if I'm wrong, but there's only been one rookie who's made an impact, and obviously it was a major impact in Mitchell. But even right. going back to, they were they weren't really true rookies, I guess you would call, in the sense of coming out of college in your first year in the league in terms of Angles uh, and O'Neal. You know, they right. had been away and been overseas and then came, but it took them a little bit. So I, I get excited when I see a Butler because he does look like he's a player. And Fitz, I watched in high, uh, college play extensively. In person, I've seen him play. Uh, but it doesn't seem like, except for Mitchell, rookies are capable of having a big impact on a team. That, and it's not unusual for Quinn Snyder. I'm not singling him out, but it's more about a team that's built to win now. Right, right. Now, this is why it could be one of the, you know, a terrific pick. Um, you know, there were concerns about Butler's health. That was taken care of with, uh, you know, three different doctors, one from the Jazz, one from Butler's side, and also from the NBA, and was cleared. Other teams, you know, backed away, but was uh, the Jazz took him at 40, kind of rolled the dice, 
and I think maybe they hit. You know, again, we'll wait and see. But I remember very well on draft night, guys, uh, you know, a lot of the you know, so-called experts <clears throat> felt like there were about three to four players uh, that were taken that were actually NBA-ready. I mean, were, who could walk on the floor right now and impact the roster, and Butler's name was mentioned. Uh, so that's, that's quite a compliment, but it's, it's nothing until you get on the floor and back it up. And so far he's taken – he didn't play in the summer league. Uh, working on a contract uh, deal with the Jazz, but uh, so far he's turned heads, and I thought he's played poised, uh, confident, determined. Uh, he doesn't play like a rookie. I know that sounds like an overstatement, but for me, I you see guys who are nervous, even in their second year. But man, he's picked up the system. Just seems like he belongs, and you can tell when a guy feels that way. Craig Bolajak joining us here on 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone, TV voice of the Utah Jazz. You know, as a Buike can rebound, that is abundantly clear. 14 rebounds in 24 minutes is eye-popping. But so much is required now in the air, all these three-point shots and all that. Other parts of the game you think have progressed, other parts of the game that you think he's still got to work at. I mean, there isn't the pressure right now because Whiteside is there to pick up some Gobert minutes, but you never know how a season's going to unfold and when a guy might be needed. What do you think? Right, right. No, all good points, man. It was. Uh, I, I, I think, again, he's behind a little bit because of the ankle injury last year. Almost lost a season, basically, and so he's kind of on a restart. Even though he jumped in late, late uh, in the season, uh, just what five months ago, but I, uh, you know, he's still an intriguing, you know, uh, player with the big body, as you said, in a in a vacuum to rebound. And again, is he going to step outside, hit threes? No. Is he a low block guy? Possibly. Can he face a basket? I've seen it, uh, but it's just again, I think it's interesting talking about two different players. It seemed to be Jared Butler being a rookie, but everything he's been through. I think obviously molds the way that he plays and the way he responds to pressure as a Buki, a little bit different there, still trying to find and understand what Quinn and how you roll. Uh, but he's <laughs> make a great point. He's got the rebounding down. I mean, the body allows him to do that. And he seems like he's in really good position as well. I mean, the numbers prove that, but he seems comfortable in that regard. Still want to see more of his offensive game, which um, still hasn't still hasn't popped out yet. You've been around Mitchell a little bit. Two years ago, we're done with the first round. He said it so adamantly, and they were mm-hmm. they were done with the first round. Uh, have you been able to gather any mood of him now? You know, we had a long talk with him at shoot around yesterday. Um, you know, that guy is amazing. I mean, he handles himself way beyond. I know this is another one that gets overused, but again, Donovan's in that special group of beyond his years. Uh, he always has been. Um, you know, he's thrust into a situation his rookie year, and, and that's where you get tested tested quickly. And um, he, he continues to, I think, what, I, what I'm impressed with is how the way he discusses his, his, his approach to the game, that a good player, a great player, has to change things up and has to work on different elements each and every off season, and you know, this year he, he was working on, you know, knocking three down, you know, off the dribble. He's you know done the catch and shoot. Now he wants to be able to, you know, on a dribble pull back three. Uh, obviously, he wants to stay healthy. Trying to work on his speed. Uh, the guy just 
you know, loves the game of basketball, studies it, but also is so hungry that he's not satisfied. And that's where you start to get the elite player. Uh, you know, look, Kobe was never satisfied. Michael Jordan was never satisfied. Dwayne Wade was never satisfied. They always pushed themselves and always worked on a different part of their game. He made a lot of talk about that at shoot around yesterday and what he was, you know, working on in a very short off season. But, um, you know, hopefully the ankle's good. He says he's 100%. And we just saw him a little bit. I mean, the whole team struggled with the three. They haven't hit many threes at all in this preseason. But uh, they're just working on different aspects. And I'm excited to see Monday and Wednesday as I think Quinn starts to put this group together and turn the corner to to, to get ready for the pre uh, get ready for the regular season. So the uh, general managers were surveyed anonymously. And uh-huh. they picked the Lakers to come out of the West, the Nets to win the title. The Nets, Lakers, and Bucks were the only teams that got votes to win the title. None of the other 27 did. The Jazz were picked second in the West behind the Lakers, and I'm curious if there was any acknowledgement or talk about that at all or what the uh, reaction was or it just yeah, it was just another thing. It just floated away and nobody really talked about it. Yeah, not a whisper. Not a whisper, DJ. You know, that's kind of typical. I don't know if they really want to hear that behind closed doors. Maybe a, a, you know at the locker they they say something. Uh, I think they were excited. I, mean, I heard more buzz just the fact that the Jazz are the number one fan base in the NBA by GMs, right? I mean that was kind of exciting as well. And I hope Jazz fans appreciate what others think of them when it comes to noise and the way that they you know support a uh, a team. And it was well well noted too. I mean. Jazz fan base number one, pretty pretty impressive. I don't know about those picks though. I'm not sure how the Lakers hold together. PK, come on, I'm not sure how Westbrook and but ten games in, AD is going to put up with that or never touch the ball. LeBron, health, age, and then what about Kyrie and Brooklyn? I mean, he can miss 41 games. I mean, it's coming down to coming down to that where he won't be able to play on his home floor uh, because of his. Um, refusal to take uh, the COVID vaccination. So, man, there's a lot of stories that have already kind of popped before really the season's even even started yet. But those are all things to watch because it's going to play a factor. Well, how about the philosophy of chasing the best record in the West, at least, because that's all they can do, and maybe in the NBA if that's what it ends up being. What do you think the Jazz are going to do as far as that? How much are they going to be all in for that? You know, you broke up at the the front end, all in on the on, best record, regular oh. season record. I'm wondering what's going to be their desire. You know, because it doesn't, not that it doesn't mean anything, it just yeah. doesn't guarantee anything. It's very true. You know, a lot of teams, and I think as you get, we've seen a lot of older, you know, players get older and age. They they rest. They focus only on the on the postseason. I asked Clarkson that last week and on media day and. You know, he was, gosh, man, he was so pri- proudful, pride uh, of the pride that the Jazz had in having and owning uh, the best record in the NBA. And he said, you know what? A lot of people say, ah, it doesn't matter because it does to me. Because what it does is it prepares you for the postseason. And, you know, just different players have a different perspective. But for Clarkson, you know, he was very, he was very excited that the Jazz owned it. He said, you know, you can't live in what-ifs, but they knew they were good. 
uh, and obviously disappointed when the injuries popped and hit both Donovan and Michael, you know, Mike Conley. But uh, he's that type of guy who says, look, we can't look back. But he thought it was a good thing to prepare them for postseason play. I think if you ask the question to another player, they would say, well, it was a good thing. Uh, it was, it, you know, put us in a good position. But at the same time, did it wear them out? I don't know if those injuries were, you know, related to a 52-win season. I don't know. But, um, you know, I, you watch these guys on a daily basis. They take care of themselves. I mean, that's what part of this game is about is the body uh, and knowing and a little rest here and there. But, uh, you know, I thought last year was exciting. And it showed how dominant the Jazz can be. But also it showed their vulnerabilities. And that's what the Jazz tried to plug in and fix in the offseason. Bowler, as always, we appreciate a little bit of time. We will talk to you again next week. A couple more preseason games coming up. And then it'll be the real deal. All right, guys. Thanks. PK, Tom Petty, Rob. All right. Yeah, yeah. I need to know. I need to know. I need to know. Awesome. Petty. <laughs> See you guys. Thanks, Bowler. Coming up next, Lincoln Kennedy, Raider radio analyst, Pac 12 network analyst. We will talk college and NFL football with him next. Stay with us. Now, let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Time to chat with Max Tooley. Give us a story or two about your mission. Something that was unique about my mission was I was assigned to speak Mandarin on my mission. Wow. So, yeah, it was quite the, you know, the tall order. Got to serve in different areas where, uh, you know, where specific, you know, Chinese students would be. I loved my mission. That Mandarin's going to serve you well down the line for sure. There's <laughs> yeah. no doubt about that. We appreciate your time and thanks for joining us. Hey, uh, uh, Max, why me? Hawaii, huh? Yeah. All right, man. I'll see you later. I know a little Mandarin. Look at you. You okay. just Googled that. No, I did not. I know Waini means I love you. Because... You just told Max Tooley I love you? Yeah, well, yeah, now that I think about it, I did. That's a little awkward. He said it back, though. Oh, this is uncomfortable. Hanson Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. We are joined now by Lincoln Kennedy, Raider radio analyst, Pac-12 network analyst. He's on Smart Rain guest line. Utah will be in a drought next summer. Smart Rain knows the 2022 budget planning for most businesses is coming soon. Take advantage of their Save Now, Pay Later promotion and do your part by saving water while saving money. Check out Best Estate Award winner, Smart Rain at SmartRain.net. Lincoln, good morning. DJ PK, it's LK all day. How you guys doing? <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious, since you've got uh, one foot in the college football world uh, at the Pac-12 Network, and you got one foot in the pro football world doing the Raider games, what is it about this side of the country, and what will be crazier when it's all said and done, the AFC West, the NFC West, or the Pac-12? <laughs> um, probably a little bit of all, depending on how you look at it. It's Again, you know, we, we've been together for years now, and, and we talked about national recognition when it comes to college football and how the Pac-12 lacks respect. However, I think you guys agree with me in, in, in a sense where you it, it, you appreciate the competitiveness of the conference, the fact that they have to play nine games. Um, it really, you know, is a real round robin when it comes to divisional or conference play. So it's anyone's game. Uh, I think the South is up in the air. I think... Utah is good enough to beat SC if they can contain their uh, contain their scoring. 
and not turn over the ball as much as they did uh, at Wazoo. And that would be the first time, what, Utah's beaten Messi in L.A. if possible, if yes. it happens. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so, I mean, just to you know, name a few things there. But um, as far as the, in the, the North is just involved, you might even see the Beavers pull it out the way as strong and consistent they looked last week when I did their game against Washington. But, you know, when it comes to the pro game – you know, this is not necessarily unusual. I think parity is still a part of the NFL, as it always has been. It's going to show more so when you talk about those two particular divisions, because I believe that the NFC West and the AFC West are two divisions with capable enough teams to just beat up on each other. And they'll be lucky if they can split the divisional games. And it's highly unlikely anybody's going to go through it unscathed. Um, you know, right now the Broncos haven't played anybody in division, so even though they have their first loss, and the Chargers set up top taking care of the Raiders and the Chiefs, and you know potentially what the Chiefs can do. So they're not going to be down for long, or they'll try to figure out the formula why. So I, I think it's really some competitive divisions and some good football. It'll be good fodder to talk about. I was disappointed with the Raiders' performance on, on Monday, and we know they're not a good running team, but I thought, you know, they, they really just, I don't know if bottomed out is the right phrase. So my thought for you as an old offensive lineman, maybe a combination, multiple choice question, is it of lack of talent up front or in the backfield? Neither. What it is is a lack of cohesiveness and consistency. You have to remember, when it comes to the Raiders, uh, you know, a lot of people have been, including myself, have been critical of the lack of run game. But to be fair, you know, they came into the season expecting Denzel to be playing right guard, Richie Incognito to be playing left guard, and Andre James, who's, you know, a new starter, to, to be protected by two veteran players. Well, that's not the case. Matter of fact, they just signed Jermaine Illuminor to the starting right guard now at the end of, uh, at the end of training camp, preseason. So, you know, he's had only a little bit of time to get, uh, you know, into it and involved with the offense or know the offense as well as, say, Denzel Good, who's been here for, uh, been with the Raiders for a couple of years. And of course, then you have John Simpson on the other side, which is a developmental player that they've been working on since they drafted him out of Clemson. So there's inconsistencies in the front, mainly, and also the fact that you just drafted a rookie right tackle. So there, there's a learning curve for uh, rookies that come into this league, no matter what position you play. With that being said, you know, you quantify that by not having Jacobs for the last three weeks, and now you get him the one game, and they made an effort and, and to try to get him established. But I'm of the mindset that certain guys do things a lot, sometimes better than others. For example, Kenyon Drake is a different running back than Peyton Barber is a different running back than Josh Jacobs. And schematic-wise, I think it's up to Gruden and, and Coach Cable, the run game uh, coach, to sit and figure out, when we have whichever number in the backfield, there are runs that are conducive to their strengths, and those are the ones that we have to call and get good at, rather than trying to throw every run at the same running back. It just doesn't work that way. Lincoln Kennedy joining us, Raider radio analyst, Pac-12 network analyst. Um, are they just going to evolve then? And how much as all these seasons get longer, should we really reserve judgment in September and early October because these seasons are long and teams are going to evolve? I would say going forward, because it's sort of been established over the past uh, eight, nine years, maybe maybe even the last decade, you can consider, that the real preseason is the first month of the season for football teams because they're really not doing much or, or trying to do much in the preseason. They just don't want to run the risk. So the real season, the, the real preseason or exhibition style comes from the first month of football. Now, it's a very dangerous game. If you start off in the hole 0-4, then you have to spend that much more time climbing out, obviously. 
but you really don't know who you will have until you play someone. And I've been critical of the Raiders the entire preseason because they didn't play anybody in the preseason. And then they, they say they're saving them for the first game. You come out after the first game, and you finally you beat Baltimore in overtime, but you have 17 guys on the injured reserve, injured injury list the next day, you know, the post game and, and the Tuesday and Wednesday. So, you know, where are you without? Where are you? You lost two good players, and Jeremy McCoy and Denzel Good. First game of the season. They're on IR done for the season. Richie Incognito has yet to play, and it's been, you know, they've, not, they've had him on IR now, so he can't quite come back to play for a couple of weeks. So, all that being said, where are you? Are you better now after not skipping preseason or not getting that type of conditioning, or are you worse off because you're still trying to find your way? I know that's a mouthful, but the fact is that the Raiders are 3 and 1, and if you would have come into the season looking at that first month of football and say you can be 3 and 1 after it, I know they would have taken it. It's Justin Herbert big time because he looks it to me, but I'm an untrained guy. <laughs> he is big time. You know, you think about the job that he did stepping up for Tyrod Taylor last year after the, the sort of medical mishap against the Chiefs and growing throughout the season. And I thought the Chargers record, the Chargers team was better than their actual record last year. They just mismanaged a lot of games. Uh, Herbert, if there's if there's one criticism, and it's it was kind of seen in the in Monday night game, if there's one criticism or one thing that he needs to get better on, it's his touch on the long ball. Um, he doesn't really have – it really doesn't put an arc on the long ball. There were three missed throws that if he would have connected would have just – you know, really put the Chargers over top, even more so than they were. Uh, but, you know, he still has to learn that touch on that long ball. And I think he'll get it. It'll come in time. But for the most part, he's got enough weapons behind him. Their sound offensive system, the fact that he can use his legs when it comes down to it, this is a, this is a very good football team in the Chargers. So this uh, chief defense has given up 31 points a game, which is a stunning and staggering number. Should I think they're going to evolve and this is just the preseason for them and Andy Reid and his staff will get that figured out, or this is going to be a major problem? I'm one of the minorities that believe in that there is a such thing as a, a Super Bowl hangover. Now, the Chiefs have gone to the last two Super Bowls having won one. And, and it's hard, as you guys know, it's, it's hardly been done in, in league history to go to three straight Super Bowls. With that being said, I think the Chiefs' number is up for this year. I think the teams and the parity have so much close of the gap to where it's not going to be even where they're just going to walk away with the division. There's going to be a challenge you know, for this division, uh, this division title, let alone in the playoffs. More importantly, there are a lot of teams that have gotten better. I mean, look at Buffalo. You know, you, we just talked about the Chargers, just to name a few. I, have to, I think the Raiders and the Chargers, it's going to come down to the final game of the regular season in January for the division title. That's kind of what I'm projecting, that the winner win, wins that and takes it all. So um, with that being said, I think the AFC has closed this gap a little bit. I still think the Chiefs are capable. Obviously, with those offensive weapons, you can't count them out. But more and more teams are becoming – a build, having the ability to score touchdowns rather than just settle for field goals. And that is what ultimately challenges the Chiefs. Their defense is porous. This defense has been you know, not as great for many years now. But the fact is, is that people haven't always been able to score touchdowns. Now they can. And that's what's going to make the, the competition close the gap a little bit more on the Chiefs. As far as the Pac-12, particularly the South, maybe even the North, I'm not buying anybody, and at the same time, I'm not. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna rule out Arizona and Colorado, and even SC right. with two losses. Obviously, they can't afford another one, so they may have to win out, right. and that might be too difficult. But it's check with me Saturday night each week, 
and I'll give you my updated yeah. opinion. I don't know that I can make any declarations about whichever team at this point. No, I, I, I tend to agree with you. I, I think SC is not going to win out. I, as I said a moment ago, I think Utah has a great chance to, to get them if they can limit the mistakes and just play within themselves. Because I still think they have a tremendous formula for success. But, you know, UCLA has shown some improvement and shown times where if you can't stop the running game, then it can be a long night for you. Um, ASU is – I haven't seen ASU play a consistent game yet this season, and I don't know if they'll get it together. They do have some you know, some power and potentially dangerous, but they have to play a consistent game. As far as the North, the North is in turmoil. I think now that Stanford has found a way to, to, to right the ship, even to see how they've come back after their injuries. Oregon is still capable, but they need better play out of Brown, their quarterback. He's not reading his progressions, in my opinion, and, he, and I, I think that he's not necessarily uh, – comfortable with throwing down the field or trusting the receivers to throw down the field to really stretch that the opposing defenses. And they can only rely on the run game so much. Oregon State has a has a favorable schedule now that they've beaten uh, SC and, and, uh, and they've beaten Washington. Washington is now still trying to figure out their coaching issues, but you know they, everything is really up in the air. And, and, and there's going to be teams that are going to beat, get a hold of them or you know, get the best of them. No one could expect Wazoo would beat Cal at Cal, but it happens. Oregon State has won four in a row, and I know Hawaii and Idaho at home, they're supposed to win, but SC and Washington, I mean, how far are they going to stretch this out? Now, it's three of those four games are at home, and two, you know, they're highly favored in, so I don't want to get too crazy here, but it's fun to watch Cinderella win, and Oregon State qualifies as Cinderella. Those are big wins for Oregon State. You know, there's no way, there's no ifs, ands, buts about it. The fact that they hadn't beaten Washington in what, I think it was 11 years, they conquered that. The fact that they hadn't beaten the SC in L.A. since 1960, I mean, they got over that. Those are big wins for the program, and it's it's a motivating factor that's going to take the program far. Look, their secondary is some guys, or some guys that are going to be playing in the National Football League on Sunday. Um, they've got some good players on that team, and they've got a good formula with their dual backs that if they can just remain consistent and one of the better offensive line coaches in all of college football, if they can just remain consistent and limit the amount of turnovers, that's a good football team, especially in the North. And I think they can challenge just about anybody. They've already proven that they have. They can challenge anybody. Uh, But I think they're capable of playing with everyone uh, on the rest of their schedule. So you've played at all levels at the highest level, and this Urban Meyer thing has been a big story here nationally. Yeah. Uh, I don't really know what to make of it. Obviously, it's not a good look. But if they're 4-0, is it not as bad a look? (laughs) So are we combining that stuff at the bar or restaurant the other night? Is and, and it's his personal life, and you know, obviously, I wouldn't condone it by any stretch. But nevertheless, he's not breaking any laws. And then we hear these guys, well, he has no respect to the locker room and all. And I'm wondering, well, wait a second, these guys are 0 4. So, do we have respect for them? What do you just make of the whole situation as far as his ability to get what he wants accomplished done in Jacksonville? You know. To me, there are guys who are cut out for certain levels, and they're just good at what they do at that level. Nick Saban is a better college football coach than he was a pro coach. Same could be said in many ways about Harbaugh and Michigan. I think there are guys that you know I, I kind of deem like control freaks. Chip Kelly is another one. Control freaks need to have their way of controlling things, their surroundings, and their way. It's not the same when a college coach goes up to the next level because – 
a lot of those veterans, you know, when you come into a locker room and you're just like, hey, guys, I want you to buy in. I want you to support me. I want you to follow me. I'm going to lead you to promised land. When it's all said and done, athletes on a professional level just want to win. They don't care who does it. They just want to win. There was so much hype coming into Trevor Lawrence. There was so much hype coming into Urban Meyer that you had a ton of people who were buying in excited. And to me, the Jacksonville Jaguars weren't a bad football team the last couple of years. They were just a quarterback away of really making an impact or making a statement, in, in, especially in that division. And they are supposed to have their their dream quarterback, Sunshine, if you will, from a member of the Titans. Uh, Trevor Lawrence was supposed to be that answer, and Urban Meyer was supposed to be that answer, and hasn't turned out to be that way. And now you have this little, you know, off-the-field incident. And I say little because it is, it is you know, personal business and shouldn't be blown out of proportion the way it has been. But the fact that you have a big name, you also have a big program that has an opening at SC, and everyone is speculating that Urban Meyer or someone like that magnitude is going to go and take that job. When you see this sort of get out and kind of carry it, it creates an opinion. And it's not necessarily a favorable opinion when people are looking at him. So I don't know if he's lost the locker room. I've seen uh, I've seen bits and pieces of the Jaguars games that it's not that they you know haven't played hard at times. It's just they they've been out schemed and just been beaten, which happens. So um, they're not really sure how far this thing is going to run, but it's unfortunate nonetheless. And you would think you would think that someone who's been around and been around various big programs and had its fair share of scandals kind of problem that he'd be more mindful, even though it was at his own club still be more mindful of the possibility uh, that, that we're trying to express to the younger generation to try to stay clear of and be mindful of when they're off the field. Lincoln Kennedy, Raider radio analyst, Pac-12 network analyst, every week, DJ, PK, and LK. LK, we'll talk to you again there next you week. Go. Sounds good, guys. Thanks for having me. Coming up, your reaction to all of that. Grab your phone. Use the app. Use the open mic feature. Send us your take. We heard from Bowler on the Jazz. Heard from Lincoln Kennedy on the Raiders and the NFL and on the crazy start to the Pac-12 season. We'll get to all of that next. Stay with us. It's game week for the Cougars. And the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. It ain't over till it's over. It's back-to-back Mountain West Conference opponents for the Cougars as they welcome in Boise State to LaBelle Edwards Stadium for a showdown against the Broncos. Listen all week for your chance to win tickets to the game and then catch the Cougar pregame show Saturday at 1230 with the postgame show immediately following the game. From Monday morning to the post-game press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Cougar football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Football Fridays are presented by Mountainland Supply, where the pros go for plumbing, landscaping, irrigation, agricultural irrigation, HVAC parts, tools, and safety equipment. Find a location near you at mountainland.com. Just had Lincoln Kennedy on talking a little football. We had Bowler on talking basketball before that. You're pondering, PK. What are you pondering? What well, did one uh, of these guys. This, this time is, of year, I'm always pondering Pac 12. Yeah. Always. It's never far from my mind. And trying to project. I'm reading a piece on Washington right now and how they're two and three. And can they be bowl eligible? They've been bowl eligible. Every year, and last year, well, they're not bowl eligible, participated in bowls, but last year, you know, they didn't, the situation, because they didn't, they didn't even get to defend or play when they won the North, and now they're two and three, and they're here recruiting, 
in Salt Lake City area this week. I can tell you that. That's an absolute fact. They have a bye week. And so that's cool for our community that uh, they would send an assistant coach from Washington into our community to commute, uh, to uh, recruit our kids. Uh, that I think that's a sign of respect of the quality of football that's played here in, in, our, sure. in our area. It's also not surprising. I would expect all 12 yeah. teams would go through. Yeah, but through on a bye Utah. week, this is not the spring when you got unlimited amounts of time. This is a bye week. You're a choosing narrow, more window, yeah. a more narrow window here. Yeah. And so not to say that he hasn't gone other places. So you're not going to send, you're not going to hit every place during a bye week in the spring when you have the campus visits and so forth. That's another story. So to me, it is a little bit of surprise. I don't know how many kids they have from Utah on their team. Uh, I know they had the Jones kid, the receiver, but then he went to Fresno. Other than that, I'm hard pressed to think of anybody. No. That, yeah, well, Nakua, 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 and he went to BYU. Yeah, right. so you got those two, and then they both leave. Uh, so that's a couple of kids for sure. Yeah, so it's worth it. Uh, but the point I'm making is that they're in danger of not getting six wins this year. Uh, it could happen. I mean, they they are a team that gets to play Arizona and Colorado, so I would think that's four. four and three. So can you go two and three the rest of the way? I don't know. That's the nature of this. Yep. For better or worse, what nationally is, it's for worse, for but worse. for us, in terms of entertainment, it's for better. Which leads me to believe that I'm not going to eliminate you, the Utes until literally they are eliminated. Don't eliminate anybody because whoever has the lead could back up. Mm-hmm. I'm going to eliminate Colorado and Arizona. And I take tremendous glee in eliminating Arizona. <laughs> but at the same time... Arizona 0-4 and 0-1. And the other four... Let's see what these Utes can do. And there's been a lot of negative. This is the, this is like the first adversity that the Utah football program has had in years, years, where it's lingered from week to week to week. You know, they lost the Pac-12 title game. All right, it sucked. But the season's over. It didn't linger. You can talk about the bowl game, but I don't give a crap. But it's about different that. losing two non-conference games yeah. going to conference when you've only lost one non-conference game in a decade, and then right. you lose two in consecutive weeks. Right. And so they're in a position where they haven't been in since what 2015, 2016. I guess they lost four in a row. Tyler Huntley's uh, sophomore year. You may have heard that it was in bleep. It was bleeping embarrassing. As a matter of fact, I did hear that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's it, thank you. <laughs> they heard that because I was there to get that and record that. Uh, another advantage of uh, going on the road with these teams is I was standing right there. And, and you know, I didn't even bat an eyelash when he said it. <laughs> I didn't. I mean, I realize it's embarrassing, so-called, for the university. It is less than ideal. But at it, the same time, it's not the worst thing that's it happened. Didn't, so. It didn't phase me at all. Four again straight. We lost Embarrassing. Yeah, excuse my language, but okay, okay, guys, guys, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Liz. Never done. We're but done. she's got a job to do, and I respected that. Yeah, job. she ha- she has so no problem there. <laughs> if there had been a second outburst, she would have had to answer that. She didn't have to answer the yeah, first one. But, but no, no, Ute fan looked at that and just didn't even bat an eyelash, man. So what? Because <laughs> they did think it was bleeping embarrassing. Oh yeah, they got smoked that game. They they sucked that game. Yeah. I remember that being uh, up there in Oregon at the Autzen Stadium at that time. So that's why I'm really intrigued to see how this team responds. So much intrigue. 
in so many different levels across the board. Uh, the teams that are fighting, the four teams, and I'd play this uh, because of the standings and the fact that the uh, Trojans have two losses and they're somewhat of a mess, I put them as the fourth place if you're doing a power poll right now. You but might. it's all snapshot and it's right now. Yeah, it really is. Because it's literally only right now. If they win, then they get a bye week, and then they're playing Notre Dame, and who knows what kind of chaos and teams beating each other up and three and two holding a tiebreaker over the Utes. It might look pretty good in a couple weeks. Doesn't look so good right now. It might look pretty good in a couple weeks. It could, yeah, because you could see a scenario. Suppose the Devils win, beat Stanford tomorrow. Well, then next week they're here. That's going to be hard. And so they're they could lose two out of three. Come, they could easily come back to the fold. They could come back to the fold starting tomorrow night. This is a uh, October always looked difficult, but I think the way the season has happened, it looks more difficult than it looked on paper back when we were looking at the schedule in July or August. For whom? Everybody? For the Utes. Okay. Because they're at USC, which we thought was going to be a big game. They're home to SU, which we thought was going to be a big game. Uh-huh. And now whatever your projections were for Oregon State and UCLA, they're at the high end of the projections. Right now. Agreed. <laughs> and that's what we're going to say about the Pac-12 every week all year long. Which, as you say, is going to be a sign of weakness nationally, but wildly entertaining if you're trying to figure out if your team's going to get to the Pac-12 title game. But yeah. right now, on paper, you know, it looked like they had real difficult back-to-back games that could define the South. And now those other two games, man, Oregon State's won four in a row. UCLA, I don't know what you're going to get. Can you, can you throw the ball well enough to take advantage of their pass defense? Because it doesn't look very good. Oh, their pass defense sucks. Right. So can you take advantage of it? Who? who? Oh, you're talking about the, the opponent. Utes. I thought you were talking about every the opponent. That's the question for yes, every opponent. Yes, they have to. They have to. But it's specifically a question for the Utes. Yes, I, think, I believe they can. And that might be the most outrageous statement I make all month. <laughs> I believe they can. <laughs> I, I believe they can. Because when you're saying that Utah's throw game can be good enough, that's really going out on a limb here. I mean, I may come to regret that. That might be my arm and Gilliam. Could be. <laughs> because they have no history of doing it. But going but into the like- Sun Devil game, they had given up 330 yards. And the Sun Devils didn't get 330 yards because they ran the ball and didn't need to get 330 yards. If they did, they would have. Because they've got a pretty good running back. Uh, got two. But One guy didn't play against BYU, but he's right. good. But because they were running the ball well, when they did take shots, they made big plays. Now, they're not drop back, throw it 50 times a game team. No, not at all. Not at all. But when they did throw it, they made big plays. And oh, they plenty. Made, they made big plays down the field. Yeah, they'll take that every game. Absolutely. Run it well and then hit on a 50-yard pass. Yeah. Golden. Excellent. Kyle thinks the same way. Hopes his team can do the same thing when they get there, but that's at the end of the month, so that's there's a not way a, away. There's not a lot of difference in the philosophies between Herm and Kyle. No. A lot of similarities. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.